Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. And this week, we would like to say arigato to our first Japanese listener or listeners, <laughs> which uh, we're pretty happy about. So, hi Des, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Just with regards to this Japanese listener, in my head, they've played it in the Olympic Stadium. I think 10,000 people have been listening to our podcast going, yeah, yeah. Just as Italy was winning the gold medal in the 100 meter dash. Dash? Is that what it's called? Sprint, no? Sprint. Italy in general is not doing fantastic at these Olympics. It's doing okay. But I am shocked that out of all the possible medals they could have won, I did not expect it in the 100 meters. No, because Italy not only never won it, Italy never qualified for the final. So this one guy, Jacobs, he was a long jumper up until two years ago. 100 meters was not his thing. And all of a sudden, apart from two times from Usain Bolt, this is the fastest time ever in an Olympics. Incredible. I think it's also one of the first times a European has won it in the modern era. And... The qualifying, so he did, I think, three, four rounds. In one round, he beat the Italian record. In the second round, he beat the European record. And in the third, he won. So that was great. And it was like 20 minutes apart or 10 minutes apart from Italy winning gold in the high jump. In, I think, an unprecedented way, because he shared the gold medal with another guy from Qatar. Yeah, it was uh, probably the bro moment of the Olympics, because... They had both failed two meters and 39 centimeter jumps three times. Yeah. So they both were basically even. Yeah, they were tied and they were flawless up until that moment. Exactly. And the judge seemed to want to encourage a jump off. Yeah. The Qatari athlete, whose name I have forgotten and I apologize, he just turned around and said, can we not have two goals? And the judge kind of shrugs and says, yes, that is an option. And that was all that needed to be said. They looked at each other, proper bro moment, high five, celebrations. And then the the Qatari guy smiled and was pleased with himself. And the Italian guy went absolutely bananas and like (laughs) rolling on the floor, yelling, jumping around. He was like absolutely an over-the-top reaction. Of course, Italian newspapers now, that's all they talk about. The story between the two guys is really, really nice because the, the Italian guy had like a really bad injury, like he broke his ankle and so he couldn't compete. I think he missed the Olympics uh, four years ago, but he couldn't complete and compete. And so his Olympics was compromised. And the Qatari guy was the guy who supported him throughout the whole recovery. And he was like, listen, just jump for yourself. Don't worry. Take the time you need. Keep doing it. Like he was really supportive. And then the Qatari guy got the same injury. And it was the Italian guy who was there supporting him. He's like, you're come back stronger. You're going to do it. it. It's a gold medal that means a lot to the both of them because they both got there together in a way. It also doesn't seem fair to have a jump off where the winning result might not even be their best result. But also if a judge comes to you and he says, do you want 100% gold? Or do you want to race where you could get silver? <laughs> it's like, it's a no-brainer. I agree. They both did the same. But we digress. <laughs> Let's start by what we should be starting with, which is beer. What are you going with, Des? I'm doing a Polish beer, and we haven't done Polish beers yet. And I regret this immediately, not because the beer might be bad or anything like that, because 
the Polish alphabet is impossible. And <laughs> I cannot, for the love of God, pronounce this. So thankfully, the name of the beer is easy. Surfer. And it's a wheat beer done in the Bavarian style. Perfect. Okay. Now the hard bit. The brewery is called Browar Goskizewo. Okay. Or maybe Goskizewo. And it's an independent craft brewery from Poland. It's only 30 years old. So this will be interesting. How about you? So to celebrate the fact that they now follow us on Instagram, by the way, at Desmarco, I'm going for a beer from the Rabau Brewery here in the Netherlands, of course. Um, and it's called Verbitterde Flechel, which is a, a bitter IPA. All right, let's get these open. Cheers. And now, the news. You know I'm a big Formula One fan. And being Italian, I'm also a big Ferrari fan. And who's the greatest driver ever to drive a Ferrari? Jean Alesi. You know, like, he was terrible and he won only one race. But apparently, he was, like, absolutely loved by the Ferrari world. To the point that um, at the end or middle of the 1995 season, there were rumors that he was going to get replaced by Michael Schumacher. And fans didn't want that. And Schumacher was already like one or two time world champion. Anyway, speaking of Schumacher, Netflix is going to release a documentary about him coming out on September 15th, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's been supported by the family. Schumacher, as you might know, suffered a skiing accident a few years back. And we have no news since. Uh, so apparently he was in a coma or is in a coma. Family is doing a actually incredible job in keeping his condition secret. As you said, it's very kept behind closed doors. We get little snippets of information here and there. The old Ferrari manager, Jean Todd, has been to the house and visited and said he's doing remarkably well considering the circumstances, which could mean anything because yeah. he was in a very bad way. I think essentially vegetative state almost, but he seems to have picked up from there. So I wish him well, but he's obviously not mobile and probably bedbound for quite a while. But that's conjecture. I mean, I obviously wish him the best, but... We don't know how he is, do we? Yeah. And he is one of, if not the best Formula One drive ever. So really looking forward to September 15th when this documentary comes out. Oh, fun fact about Michael Schumacher. Do you remember the Cars movie? Yeah. And the sort of Italian characters in it, Guido and the other one? Yeah. They're obsessed with Michael Schumacher and Ferrari. And at the end of the movie, they get to meet Schumacher. Really? Just as like a, a Pixar animated version of the Ferrari Grand Prix car, Formula One car. And Schumacher actually did the voice for the English version, the German version, and the Italian version. Really? Which I thought was quite cool. That's cool. And I, I remember like back in the day, he never spoke Italian on interviews, but Towards the end of his Ferrari career, or when he was leaving, he decided to finally speak Italian. And he had been in Ferrari for like a number of years, I think, I think like seven, eight years. And he, his Italian was really, really good in the end. So he was just very self-conscious about speaking it in public. So he never actually did. But his Italian was great. So that was a little bit surprising. Talking about Disney and Pixar. The latest person to sue Disney is someone that you won't expect. 
or at least you will, because you can see what I wrote, but <laughs> you, the listener, won't expect it. So Scarlett Johansson is apparently suing Disney because they release or they will release the movie. It's been released. Black Widow. So the character that she plays in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So because Disney is releasing the Black Widow movie, both in theaters and on their streaming service. So Disney Plus. And apparently this goes into a breach of contract with uh, Scarlett Johansson because she's due a percentage of all the box office revenue. And therefore her and her lawyers are saying that by releasing it on a streaming platform as well, she's missing out or she's not going to be making as much money as promised or expected. Yeah, it's it's kind of descended into a bit of a playground fight. Obviously, Scarlett Johansson is a very successful actress. Disney have, in my opinion, rather crassly come out saying that she doesn't care about people's safety in the pandemic. And despite being paid $14 million, is only thinking about money. Yeah. I think that was a bit of a low blow to which Scarlett Johansson has, well, her team of lawyers have responded saying, this isn't about people's safety. She never encouraged the movie to be released only in the cinema. And Disney is a company which makes billions of dollars. You can't really accuse someone of thinking only about money when you're a billion dollar company. Yeah, exactly. Disney isn't really in a position to accuse someone of being greedy. Exactly. The interesting thing here, I'm surprised that these contracts haven't figured this stuff out already. Scarlett Johansson is saying that there was a breach of contract because Disney promised a wide theatrical release. And the contract was that she would get a percentage of the income of the gross revenue of the movie. Yeah. But by using their own streaming service, they bypassed that theatrical release completely, therefore paying her less. Exactly. And rumor has it that Emma Stone, who recently did the Cruella movie, which also released on Disney+, Plus, as well as Emily Blunt, who just released the latest Disney movie with The Rock called Jungle Cruise, I think. Oh, right. The mummy boat in the jungle. Exactly. Which is also based on a Disney theme park ride, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyhow, they're also considering action. I think they're kind of watching this. Maybe they're going to settle behind the scene. It's not clear. But it looks like Disney is trying to circumvent the traditional revenue models and take a bigger slice of the pie. Despite the fact these are successful actresses and actors, you know, they don't need the money, but obviously the little guy will follow on from this, if that makes any sense. They're setting a precedent for other actors and actresses. Yeah, because you can't really differentiate your revenue from a specific movie on a streaming service. And it's weird because in this case, you have someone like Scarlett Johansson, one of the most popular actresses in the world who are actually the little guy. I know. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens. I think this is a situation which was a long time coming. First, because a lot of the cinemas complained at the beginning of the pandemic that, for example, Universal released a few movies directly onto their streaming service, like via HBO Max, bypassing the traditional cinema circuit completely. Understandable during the middle of the pandemic. And quite rightfully, cinemas were terrified that this would become a trend. And obviously, Disney is also wanting to hype up its own streaming service. Exactly. With uh, exclusive content. But in a way, you can see that this is going to be the future of cinema. 
I agree. And they'll have to adjust the business model to make sure all parties are happy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, we'll see. Also, an interesting piece of news that I saw this week was the a new module got attached to the International Space Station. It's called Nauka, and it's a Russian module. And apparently it caused a bit of trouble. I haven't heard the full story. I saw the Russians apologizing, saying that it was a software glitch, but I'm not sure what went wrong. Yeah, so the the new module launched and already at launch had a few problems, which I cannot remember. And obviously I didn't fact check anything. Um, so they delayed the docking to the space station by a few days. In that time, the space station is obviously orbiting at hundreds of kilometers per hour. And it sort of changed its orbit, or at least it wasn't exactly where it was supposed to be when the module launched. Um, so the module had to kind of like maneuver to get there. And once it did and it docked, it accidentally fired or by software glitch or whatever it was, fired its thrusters, making the, the whole space station spin with it, which caused a bit of fear and a bit of uh, apprehension from ground control, because obviously you can't have the, the space station spinning or changing its orbit even worse. So then it was found that it was a software glitch and they corrected it, but the the fear remained. I read an article that on the BBC, I think, and they said that the space station and the module were in a tug of war. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. In these cases, one YouTube channel that I really recommend is a guy called Scott Manley. I don't know if you know him, I think he started off as a streamer, like he used to stream Kerbal Space program, and then went on to cover space news, which is pretty interesting. And um, the domino effect of this thing is that Boeing was also launching its own capsule that was supposed to go to the space station. So America will have two capsules able to go there. I actually don't, don't know whether they, they managed or not. Finally... The Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro have been announced, I want to say. You're going to have to explain this one to me because I'm not sure what's happening. So out of the blue, Google released via a few news outlets. So The Verge, for example, and MKBHD are the ones that I saw. Information about the upcoming Pixel 6 and 6 Pro. So we have names and we have images of the phones. They were allowed to test the phone without taking any videos, and they were allowed to talk about their experience with it. Experience that was also very sandboxed. They weren't able to do much with the phone because it's all still pre-production units. We know nothing about RAM. We know nothing about storage. We know nothing about price, specs, cameras. We know we don't know anything. We just know vague, broad information camera is going to have like a few cameras like a telephoto a wide angle the, let's say the normal one the pro will have an extra camera it'll be it'll have like different colors it's like ba very very basic stuff but the star of the show in both reviews that i saw was the processor because as we spoke about a few episodes ago this year google's building their own system on, on a chip 
they're designing it, but not building it. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. It's a Google designed one. Sorry, and it's going to be called the Tensor, and they're going down the Apple route of having their own software and hardware work together. And so Google will presumably have optimized this processor for language recognition because they're always betting a lot on the Google Assistant. They're betting on image processing. Google phones have been known for having some of the best cameras in the market, despite having pretty average and old hardware. One thing the reviews, or not reviews, previews, talked about are the fact that this year Google is focusing on video capture. So video has been sort of an Achilles heel of the Pixel line. And this year, they're meant to be as good or even better than the rest. Interesting news, more specifically because I think not quite to the levels of Apple, which has been designing its chips for a very long time. This is a system on a chip. So the RAM and the processor and it's all integrated into one sort of network. Yeah. So it's going to be a differentiating factor compared to all other Android phones, which are kind of still using off-the-shelf components. Most of them, yeah. But if you think about it, Huawei has its own Kirin line. Samsung has its own Exynos line in some markets. So they're just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm curious to see what will happen in the future because Google is still owning Android in a way. So they still need to make sure that Android works on a lot of different hardware rather than just their, you know, we, we talk about Apple's advantage is that they build their own hardware and their own software now. And that's it. They don't need to sell it to other people. So they can focus on optimizing that. Well, Google still needs to keep an eye out on third-party manufacturers. Talking about third-party manufacturers, I am semi-hyped about, we spoke about it already, some leaks have emerged of Samsung's new Wear OS tie-in, tie-up, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Obviously, it's just a still image, but it seems like the product is real. Yeah, it looks looks good. And uh, this year is going to be a merge between... Wear OS and Samsung's Tizen, I believe. So yeah, curious to see what happens. I think their launch is imminent. It's typically in the summer. Let's see. Okay, let's move on to the main segments of our episode. Yeah, this week I want to talk to you about this really cool documentary series that I watched on Netflix, and it's called Heist. Not to be confused with Money Heist, which the trailer uh, has been released for. It's a true crime documentary. There are six episodes, and they talk about three real-life heists that have happened. And they're all fairly recent, like 90s or early 2000s. And so six episodes, two episodes per heist, where they go over the whole story, as in how the, the idea was born, then the execution, how the police activated themselves to start the investigation, and how the investigation was concluded. And the interesting thing about this documentary is the fact that all the protagonists are interviewed. So you actually get to hear the story from the actual person that robbed the whatever it was. Ah, okay. Now I see what Netflix was doing. Essentially, they had a series of crimes and they go, if you committed this crime, would you like to interview? And that's how the police caught them. It was all a massive ruse to catch the culprits. 
yeah, it was weird because all three crimes, they ended with, I did an interview for Netflix and then they caught me. <laughs> but the fact that the, that the thief is the one being interviewed kind of gives away that they were caught. Personally, I know nothing about real life heists and how many are successful. I don't think they're also advertised. Well, I don't know, but it would be interesting to see the ones where they got away, but you know, you'd think that they've learned from it and they can't do it again. Yeah. So that sounds interesting. I might give it a go. Uh, you should. Anyway, it's pretty short. You can binge it all in one afternoon. And the fact that it's three heists, and so every episode is two heists, or every episode covers half of a heist, makes it very easy to, to watch. And you can just put it on and, and watch it like that. The heists are insane. Like It actually gives you good ideas in a way, because all three of them are pretty easy. They, they don't require that much planning in a way. So it, it actually got me thinking. It's like, hmm, that's not difficult. I could do that. But then they get caught. So yeah, it's not great. As I said before, I don't know much about heists in general, but then the ones you do hear about, I'm surprised at the amount of talent out there. Some of the methods that the real life heists that you see in the news, they're ingenious. And I'm surprised that these skills actually exist out in the open. Anyway, I would say it's a pretty good series. I recommend it. The first heist is by far the best, in my opinion. And then it kind of like the second one is a little bit worse and the third one is a little bit worse. So so like by the end of the series, it'll be like, I was robbed in the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I tripped on a wallet and, yeah. and, and kept the money. Um, I found money on the floor. Heist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty interesting. And it's it's fun to see what drives people in a way. Because you get to see the people who do these heists, you get to see where they are in their life and what compels them to do what they did. But it's pretty interesting. And so the first heist is a couple robs a casino, essentially, from Vegas. Uh, the second one, a guy steals money from an airport. And the third one is takes place in Kentucky, where bourbon apparently is huge. And they steal bourbon. And bourbon is actually really expensive, apparently. Who knew? That reminds me, again, I think it was a Netflix episode. And it was about money and corruption and uh, organized crime. And there was an episode on the biggest organized crime in Canada. And it was this cartel, which was stealing maple syrup. I saw that. <laughs> and it's funny because it was like, a series of episodes. One was about Lehman Brothers. One about was about the diesel gate of Volkswagen and all this. And then one episode about maple syrup. And I could not take that seriously. I couldn't either. Like the other one was multi-million dollar corruption. People's lives were at stake. People's health was affected. You know, people's livelihoods were destroyed. And then it's the other one was like, yeah, maple syrup was a bit more expensive. But apparently maple syrup is huge there. So it's, it was a huge deal. Well, it's the only place where they make it in the whole world. So they have complete control. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was a crime. And clearly, people made a lot of money. And it has a lot of ramifications. But as you said, it's just compared to everything else, it sounds so benign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But anyway, Heist on Netflix, again, not to be confused with Money Heist, which will come out by before the end of the year. So looking forward to that. But if you like true crime documentaries, this one's good. Okay, Marco, moving on. Seeing as we're on a very similar topic in terms of Money Heist and crime, I recently watched Tarantino's latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Wow, Des, welcome to 2019. I know, I know, I know. But it's a long movie. I never had the time to watch it. We're living now in a time where, you know, my evenings are a little bit free of unusual, even though we're getting busier again. I finally got around to watching it, and I don't know what to think about this. I thought it was very interesting. I was curious to hear what you thought about it, because I had plenty of time to digest it, but go ahead. First and foremost, if you haven't watched it, this is Tarantino's ninth movie as a full director, no cameos or anything like that. He's famous for some genre-defining and groundbreaking cinematography and movies. Came to light with Pulp Fiction, which was fantastic, Reservoir Dogs. Then we're going on to things like Kill Bill, which was memorable, Volume 1 and 2, and we'll count them as one movie. More recently, The Hateful Eight, Inglorious Bastards. Django Unchained. Django Unchained. And he's a one director who can pretty much do whatever he wants. He doesn't need to explain himself to anybody. Yeah. He gets pretty much greenlit for whatever he wants to do mm-hmm. because of this pedigree. All of his previous films were clearly fiction. They were made up stories set in a particular universe, you know, alt- not alternate realities, but you know what I mean? They're made up stories. Yeah, yeah. And this, I suspect, was meant to be an ode or like a swan song for the bygone era of Hollywood. Set in an LA which doesn't exist anymore, where the movie business is king and the world revolves around the connections rega- around movies, which also represents the time of uh, Tarantino's childhood, who grew up in LA. Yeah. But the thing I found confusing and difficult to process was that it follows Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, who are playing a actor who's kind of like on a downward trend in terms of his career, and his stuntman double, which is played by Brad Pitt, called Cliff Booth. So Rick Dalton is Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and Cliff Booth is uh, Brad Pitt, who's the stuntman. Yeah, and both characters are fictional. Exactly. These are two fictional characters. But at the same time, the third, let's say, starring name is Margot Robbie's character, who plays a real-life actress called Sharon Tate who was married to Roman Polanski, the director. These are real people. And Roman Polanski is still alive today. Yeah. And she was brutally murdered by... The Charles Manson gang. And this is where I found things confusing, because if you're not familiar with Sharon Tate's story... And I wasn't, I have to admit. This doesn't make sense. That's exactly my point. It doesn't fully make sense, because the movie doesn't follow what actually happened. But in a way, this is a Tarantino thing. Like you said... It was a time in Hollywood where everything was kind of magical and everything was, you know, movies were shiny. And and he's obviously very fond of that time in Hollywood. And the the whole Charles Manson movement and you could argue the hippie movement, they kind of put a stop to that. And that was a time where Hollywood changed. Tarantino was very fond of the Hollywood pre-Sharon Tate murder. And so this is his opportunity to sort of rewrite history, which is kind of like what he did in Inglorious Bastards, because he kills Hitler there. I agree. But Inglorious Bastards, it was clearly fiction to begin with. It was like a war exploitation movie. Those famous post-war, Second World War movies, you know, the ones done in the 50s and 60s, which a lot of them were fictional. They were just make-believe stories of allies versus the Axis missions which didn't really exist or Mm -hmm. were embellished purely for cinematography yeah this one seemed to follow real life steps it wasn't just this is a movie set in the world war or this is a movie set in that hollywood period 
it felt like everything was real until it no longer was. Mm-hmm. And I always feel a bit uncomfortable when they're using real characters, such as Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. It's not a criticism. I don't want it to be a criticism. It was just confusing. So if you watch this movie, I would recommend you maybe read about the Charles Manson murders and Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski just to get a background understanding of what happened. Because if you know the backstory, the movie becomes a lot more interesting. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That, And I also strongly recommend that because I went in not knowing anything and I went out kind of arguing with myself whether I liked it or not. But once I learned about what had happened in those years, it all made sense. I still didn't quite make up my mind on whether I like this movie or not, but it makes sense now. The movie is actually really nice. Now, one thing about Leonardo DiCaprio movies, I always like to hunt for the meme. And he's got lots of memes on the internet from all his various movies. And this has a famous one. And I was very happy when I spotted it. It's the one where he's pointing at the TV. He's pointing at the TV like, yes, that's it. Anyway, and uh, that's in this movie. So that's quite fun if you want to spot the meme. But at the same time, everything else about the movie was great. The colors were great. The pacing was fantastic. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are so comfortable on screen. They are a pleasure to watch, in my opinion. Especially Brad Pitt plays this awesome character. Super cool. And from that point of view, it's a great movie. And as most of Quentin Tarantino's movies, the conversation is slick. The scenery is fantastic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of style. The cars are fantastic. The sound is fantastic. The music is great. It's a long movie, two hours and 40 minutes, but because of all these things, it passed pretty quickly. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree with you when you say that it doesn't feel, in a way, like the average Tarantino movie. So, like, full of exaggerated violence and things like that, to the point that halfway through the movie, I was like, okay, so where's the violence? Because there is nothing happening until the very end. And then it becomes a typical Tarantino movie, but it's steeped in sort of like a parallel universe thing. I don't yeah. know how to explain it. The end is where Tarantino sort of takes the opportunity to rewrite history according to what he had hoped. Yeah, perhaps do justice to the actual events. Yeah, exactly. So it's a very different Tarantino movie who I think warrants some discussion because he has been so influential in modern cinema. What's your favorite Tarantino movie? This one's a tough one. It is a very tough one. I have a soft spot for Pulp Fiction, but I also really like the first Kill Bill. Pulp Fiction is epic. The way all those stories intertwine and come together, and it's just genius. Yeah, I think for me, it would probably be Kill Bill as well. I'm going to have to go watch this again. Yeah, definitely. We need to do a Tarantino marathon. Special. Oh, yeah, that would be good. We would have a lot to talk about. Okay, Marco. Those were my two thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Tarantino in general. But what do you think about your beer? It's nice. So it's pretty fresh. Again, it's an IPA. And it's pretty bitter, which I don't usually have. But I really like it. I think it's very good. Yeah, I could uh, I could drink a few of these. There's like a hint of fruitiness, but mostly it's a bitter beer. But anyway, I like it. I'm going to give it four and a half and over to you. 
This isn't my first ever Polish beer, but this is my favorite Polish beer ever. Wow. So I've tried three Polish beers in my life. <laughs> so you're a bit of an expert, you know? Yes, I obviously can judge. Actually, no, that's not true. Remember when we went to Gdansk? We went to like a, we went to several breweries, like small craft bars, which made their own beer. Oh, Just yes. Not. The one next to the station. Yeah. That was good. I can't remember much from that day. Though. It was really good. And neither do I. And again, the Polish alphabet, do not ask me to remember its name. <laughs> However, this is a good beer. It's obviously small scale brewer. This tastes very much like you would expect a German wheat beer to taste. So it's faithful to the style of beer. Mm-hmm. I think they've added orange zest to the brewing process. It's got a lot of active yeast in it. So, you know, you've got like the layering of the, 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 the stuff at the bottom, like the yeast sediment at the bottom of the bottle. I would recommend shaking it well before you drink it or stirring it well. As I was drinking it, it got better because you got more of that sediment flavor. Right. So I'm going to give it a solid four out of a six pack. It was really good. Wow. Seems like the both of us had really good beers this week. Look out for our Instagram post about them. Anyway, today we talked about a few different things in the news this week. So Netflix releasing a Schumacher documentary later in the year. Scarlett Johansson out of the blue suing Disney. Curious to see how that turns out. There was a little bit of drama on the International Space Station. And the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro have been maybe announced. I don't know what the term is, but it's an interesting tactic to start generating hype. Then we recommended Heist on Netflix. If you're a fan of true crime documentaries, that's the one for you. And Des finally got around (laughs) to seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and shared his thoughts. On that note, Des, I'm going to talk to you next week. And thank you so much for listening. See you next time, guys.